Did you know that the average human spends 92,000 hours at work during their lifetime? That's more than we spend eating, cleaning, driving, watching TV, or even surfing the internet. In fact, work is what we do most. It comes second only to sleeping. Welcome to 92,000 Hours, the podcast that believes in the integration of life and work. I'm your host, Annalisa Holcomb. Before we begin, I wanted to tell you a quick story about why this podcast is so personal to me. I began practicing law at age 26 and learned many valuable lessons, including that I was deeply unhappy at work. Although I was on a path that looked like traditional success, I realized that I needed to quit my job in order to align myself with my passion and purpose. Now I am dedicated to making sure all of our 92,000 hours at work are spent well instead of simply spent. How do we construct a working world that values and accommodates our humanity? How do we construct a life that is not separate from, but fueled by, the purpose we find in our work? In this podcast, we will explore those questions and more. In each episode, I will speak to someone that demonstrates meaning, passion, and purpose in their work. Join me in discovering what happens when we bring our whole selves to our work, schools, and communities. Welcome to another special episode of 92,000 Hours. Today, we are joined by several of our past interviewees from both Season 1 and Season 2. And while I thought this would be a discussion about lessons learned, it turned into a real masterclass on self-awareness. Let's jump in. All right, so let's get going on this. I just am really, really pleased to welcome so many of you back to the 92,000 Hours podcast. We had so much fun over the course of the past um, about eight months or so, uh, having you all be out there with who you are and being so willing to be vulnerable and participate in this. So, um, I would love to just introduce everyone to who from our past season one and season two are here joining us today. And so if I could get you all to introduce yourselves um, and uh, tell us a little bit about yourselves and where you are right now and what was the subject that you were part of and what season you were part of um, during this. So let's do that and we'll start with Colin. Yeah, I'm Colin Bunker. I I challenge, serve, and take care of a group of talented IT engineers that support our customers regionally for a national or global now uh, IT integrator. Uh, I was on season one and we talked about love. Love. Awesome. <laughs> Jim goes next. Yes. Um, I'm Jim Carter. Um, I am sort of retired, but not really retired. I'm still working on uh, local government planning projects for the firm that I've worked with for the last 14 years. Um, and they focus on sending me to places I really want to go, like Idaho and Montana, where there are rivers and things I can fish in. Um, my topic was vulnerability. I was in season one. Okay, I think I'm next. I'm Liz Tinkham, and I am a affiliate lecturer, fancy title, at the University of Washington at the Foster School. 
Uh, I was on season two very recently, and I talked about transitions. Lovely. And I'm Mike Bills. I'm the chief operating officer at Atlas RTX, where we make uh, highly sophisticated AI chatbots for the web and text. I was on season one, and we spoke about failure. I'm Shambi Polychronis, and I work in higher education preparing um, students to go out and be future special educators. I was in season two, and my topic was on resilience. And I am Wendy Anderton. I am a freelance graphic design and web developer. Uh, I was on season one, and I talked about privilege. Awesome. Thank you all for joining us. Wendy was the very first of all of the interviews. And we conducted many of our season one interviews, both, um, gosh, all of you who I interviewed for season one, our interviews occurred in person before the pandemic. And so it's been a very long time since we had those interviews. And it's it will be really interesting to revisit what that feels like after so long. So my first question that I have for all of you um, is that you have all now experienced being interviewed on a podcast. And I don't think that's something that a lot of people in the world can say that they've done. So I also know, particularly because of the types of questions I asked all of you and the subject matters that we talked about, that that can be a very vulnerable place to be. So I am interested in your reflection. If you could describe the experience and I mean any part of it, whether it is leading up to it or during the interview or after the interview, uh, in just like a word or a sentence or even maybe two sentences, how would you describe it? What would that be? What is it like to be on a podcast? What was that like for you? I can start. I, I thought it was, um, your questions were very introspective and caused me to think about things that I hadn't thought about myself, you know, uh, some of my own vulnerabilities and leading up to some of the transitions. Uh, I also host a podcast, so it also helped me to think about how to better ask questions to get people to think more introspectively about themselves. Well, that was very kind. I hope also, like, tell me about that for all of you. Jim. Well, I was just going to say, <clears throat> I couldn't imagine that I would have anything interesting to talk about, about vulnerability for more than two minutes, you know, just go out there and be vulnerable. What else is there to talk about? So I was a little nervous, um, but Annalisa, your leading questions and sort of allowed me to sort of unpack all that stuff. And, and I discovered quite a bit about myself. It was enjoyable. Lovely. Wendy. I have to agree with Jim. I, I think that I was very nervous and had a great amount of imposter syndrome going on saying I, uh, and I'll be honest, I, yes, I was the first guest and I was her, I'm her sister. So I was something of a guinea pig, I believe. Um, so uh, I was very nervous and I wanted to be sure I measured up and met my sister's expectations, which I know are very high. So, but I feel like it went well. And I, there's some interesting things that have gone on since. So. Wonderful. Mike, how about you? So I, 
coming into it because because I I have such affection for you, I was like, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna just go for it. And so I I was which scared me, but I but I I had decided beforehand that I was just gonna be completely honest, not hold anything back. And I was surprised at how easy that ended up being. Uh, I did leave your house going, holy shit, I can't believe that I was that, <laughs> I was that open. Wow. Um, but nevertheless, it was, it was a really positive experience. I love it. I've had comments from people, Mike, about that, who have heard you and have said similar things, um, that you were very open and honest. Shambi, how about you? Leading up to it, I think, you know, you're always like, all right, I'm going to say such and such, such and such. And then during, you just have this really cool conversation with Annalisa, right? So that's just fun. After I got done, I nitpicked every word that came out of my mouth, like, oh, what I should have said was this thing, or, oh, did I use this word appropriately? I think that's the higher ed part of me is I'm constantly under self-evaluation. So full disclosure, I've listened to every single podcast, um, including the trailer, all of the the episodes, the reunions. Um, And I have to be honest, I've listened to my own twice, not because I thought it was amazing, but just to go back and say, did I say what I wanted to say as what's in there accurate. So again, that's, that's my own hangups, but um, I have very much appreciated being part of the, such a great group of stories. That's lovely. And Shambi, I just have to ask you, did you say what you wanted to say after you went back and listened twice? What, what is your, what's the result? Yeah, you know, I mean, it's funny with with editing, you always think, man, I would have to like quadruple my time to say it the way I wanted to say it. But then at the same time, it's like, who do you talk to like that other than your best friends over a glass of wine? And then who knows what's coming out, you know, (laughs) of your mouth. So yeah, you know, generally speaking, yes, I think um, there was a couple things that I said that I thought, oh, I should, I would have clarified that a little more, maybe people had questions or thought what you know but but that's just me nitpicking myself but overall I I didn't think that about anybody else's right everybody else did this fantastic job and said exactly what they think and Mike you were definitely on the top of the list with like just coming out there and saying what you were thinking and I appreciate that (laughs) Colin I didn't hear from you yet how about you yeah I leading up to it and during that was very enjoyable I like to talk about those topics very fun Afterwards, there's, of course, the imposter syndrome. There's the, what are people going to think or say about that? How is that going to be taken? Are people going to take it out of context? Or do they define some of the words I said in a different way and misunderstand what my intent was? Uh, but aside, everything up and through was great. It was the afterwards where the, the imposter syndrome sits in. And you're like, wow, if I could do all the things I said every day, wouldn't, help, wouldn't that be awesome? <laughs> Mike. So I listened to, to mine uh, a couple of times as well. And I did so because it was really cathartic to, uh, to listen to me putting all that out there. Wow. I love that you use that word cathartic. And I kind of want to ask that kind of rapid fire um, questions for you. If you were to say one word that described the experience for yourself, what would that one word be? Yeah, I think for me, I just I just use that word. That's really what it was. It was cathartic. Awesome. Introspective. Introspective. 
I would say enjoyable. I, I enjoyed it. Nice. And, and for me, it was um, a nice release, right? There was things that I haven't said out loud to very many people. And so, yeah. And things occurred to me in the course of the conversation that hadn't really occurred to me before. So it really, I discovered in trying to describe what I was trying to describe, it was sort of a sense of discovery, which was really enjoyable. Uh, for me, it was very future leaning and just the topic was we were really a nationally somewhat of the beginning of a conversation, although far past due about privilege. And it was very future leaning in that it has brought me into a space that I hadn't considered before. Um, I'm no expert in privilege, believe me, it's not my topic of study, nothing like that. Um, I'm an expert in experience and in hopefully authenticity. So it forced me to be very authentic in a way that I'm not used to, but in doing so has led toward future authenticity, I think. Well, that's wonderful. I do want to make a comment just for a moment about that. Um, with, in, in particular, with regard to Wendy's episode and Jim's episode, both of those, um, we did end up talking about privilege in ways that we're so foreshadowing about where we as a country were going to go. Um, and I remember in particular, I, I uh, really uh, emphasize this with Bree and Lexi. When I went back and listened to Jim's uh, raw questions, and there was a part where um, Bree interrupted uh, in the middle of our meeting um, and said to Jim, so I have a you know, can I ask a question? I know I'm producing, but I have a question. And my question is, hey, uh, you're talking about how we can speak, you know, use vulnerability to speak to each other. But what if when we're speaking to each other, it's about our own identities? And Jim, you said, I remember at the time I was listening to it and you said, you know, I actually think that we have a long way to go with regard to something. It was about with regard to racism. And I think I have the answer. And I remember that I had, you know, I was in the interview a year before that. And when you said that, I thought, what is the answer? I can't wait to hear. I don't, I, what's the answer, Jim? <laughs> and, um, and you know what you said, Jim, is that there are some battles that must be fought and it is time to fight them. And I, I, it just gave me chills when I listened to it the next summer that you had said that a year before. So just that was amazing. Out of my mouth. <laughs> Not very profound, just... Damn and it. yet it's profound. And I wonder if for you all, when you went back and listened, I was on a podcast myself that when I went back and listened to myself on the podcast, I found it so surprising that the person asked a question and I was like, oh, how did I answer that question? Because I couldn't remember how I had answered it. So I remember having that sense of, you know, suspense and foreboding, like, oh my goodness, how did I answer that? I don't know how to answer that question. Did you guys experience anything like that when you listen to yourself? I can see nodding heads, but you have to speak. It's a podcast. I know that by what Shambi said, we all go through that. We look back and go, what? <laughs> when did I get smart? <laughs> And yeah, I, I went through that definitely of, wow, it's almost uncomfortable to listen to because my, the voice inside of my head does not sound at all like that. I sound much more stupid <laughs> all the time. I enjoy my stupidity. Let's not get it wrong. But 
I sounded really smart and that felt really good. It was very uplifting. And, and when you asked me to come back for this, I thought, oh, you know, that's exactly what I need for my own ego right now. So oh, that's actually nice. Yeah. I, I love that. Jim, what about you? Well, I remember you, as the first time I listened to it, I was all excited before I got into listening to it. I said, I definitely am gonna share this with my brothers and my closest friends because we have conversations along these lines quite a bit. I listened to it and then I, th I thought, I don't know if I'm vulnerable enough, <laughs> courageous enough to share that. And I had to think about it a little bit. Um, so there it was out in the public, but I wasn't really sure initially that I wanted to say, hey, I just did this thing. Why don't you take a listen and tell me what you think? It took a while. So did you so, eventually do I it? Did. How did it go, Jim? After I did. You had I, got great, I got great feedback and a lot of support. And it was, I don't know why I was nervous in the first, first place, but I think being, and I listened not too long ago to Mike's uh, podcast and just being able, I just was kind of stunned again, you know, by what Mike was talking about. And I, that made me reflect on what I was talking about and how it's vulnerable again. Um, I don't know. It's, I surprised myself. And then I was not too sure that I wanted to share that having been so surprised. That's really an interesting comment. Mike, what do you think? Well, I, I have ha, still have that same reluctance to share it. Like, I think it would, devastate my mother if she listened to that podcast. Um, and I think I should, but I, ha I haven't shared that with her yet. Ooh, that would be interesting. Liz, how about you? Well, I wanted to ask a question of Wendy first, if that's okay. Yes. Um, Wendy, what, I mean, I loved your story and I haven't listened to your podcast. So I, I'm like writing a note. I got to go back and listen to that um, after this is over. But what kind of reactions did you get? I mean, how do you, how did you feel? Cause I'll tell you when I've spoken a lot, like when I talked about transitions, I used to talk about at work all the time. So I feel like some of the things I said, I've said before, and I got a lot of like, yeah, thanks for sharing that again, Liz or whatever. So, but I wasn't maybe talking about so much vulnerability as you were. So I'd love to hear your reaction. Um, there were, I went through a bit of the gym thing and probably still am and that I haven't shared it a lot. And that's one of the things that came up with this reunion of sorts is that given where I'm at right now in my life, it's time to reshare. Um, and I'm feeling very nervous about that right now. <laughs> Still, to this day, um, it is a very vulnerable place. I will be honest and, and, and truthful and say that we cut out some significant portions of my story that you'll hear in there um, simply for vulnerability and safety reasons. There are some pretty traumatic things that happened and and, and in all honesty, things that I participated in that caused my own falls in life and caused me to take a look at things a little differently in my own life and, and how I go about my days. So um, we cut out a lot of that, but it is as vulnerable as we dared to be and very frightening and a complete and total release. Like Shambi says, there's some part of it that just goes, <gasps> at the end and you're kind of like well it's out there now i've given this to someone i trust and a team i trust 
and we'll let them run with it and do what's best. Because I always say, your senseis come to you in strange ways. And sometimes they just ask you to do things that as rewarding as they may be for other people, my self-reward from it has, has been more profound than anything else that I can imagine. Thanks. I deeply love where this conversation has gone already because as I wrote to all of you, I thought that this subject that we talk about today would be maybe called lessons or learnings or something. And it's not. As I, as I started thinking about this, I really think that all of you have provided a, like a master class in self-awareness for people. I think that this is what self-awareness in real life, in practical experience can look like. And, um, uh, I'm interested in, as you talk about that, did it affect in any way that like that deeper self reflection or self-awareness, did that affect you in ways that you hadn't anticipated or did you change anything in the way that you experienced um, your discussions with friends or family or colleagues, um, strangers, your discussions with yourself. I, I'm just really interested in, in that. I can say just um, from mine, I, I've had a lot of practice. I get to the opportunity to speak in front of groups quite often and, and fairly high stakes places. Um, and I've been so guarded about uh, what I say, especially about myself and how it can be weaponized against me. Um, and there's just a point to which you get to like, I, I got to quit apologizing to things that's happened to me that's out of my control, or even things that I've participated in that I'm not super proud of. Um, it is what it is. And I've learned from them and hopefully grown from them. Um, but, you know, I also think that there's a strength that comes from being able to share really tough things that are uh, taboo in society to talk about. You know, we don't love talking about things like addiction and sexual assault and, um, you know, being able to get privileges you don't deserve or, um, you know, any of those kinds of things that it's not fun to talk about. And, and we've, we've been taught not to talk about them. But the reality is it's so important for us to talk about them. And especially if we're in places um, that are deemed, you know, success for other people, you, you know, I think it's so important for us to share with people how we got there and the things that we, we have also been through and to normalize some of the things that, that um, I think happen way more than we credit. Um, so that to me is, it's again, you know, one of those reasons is you listen to your own the second time, you're just like, did I say something that would hurt somebody else as true as it is, you know, does it involve somebody else that could potentially, uh, they, they might not be willing to disclose those things too. But the reality is, um, I am who I am. And the things that have happened to me have happened to me and what I've participated in, I've participated in, and it's, it's the whole story. So it's partly why I'm mouthy. It's partly why I do what I want to do. And I don't ask for permission. Like all of these pieces is like the total package of who I am. So being aware of that, I think is really important. If not, I just apologize for it all the time. And I'm kind of too old to do that anymore. <laughs> Love that. It is like having a mirror show like in front of you. Who else has some of that self-awareness moment? 
Colin. I think for me, the self-awareness that came to me was my need to be more publicly vocal. I am a picture of privilege that one of my responsibilities as a person of privilege is to be more vocal and fighting for those and putting my voice out there and being vulnerable and being more aggressive about supporting and backing the people who don't have that privilege. That my accountability as a person of privilege is to fight to extend that to as many people as possible. That we have, we have communities right now being attacked across our country and it's people like me that need to step up and speak out that I need to take that risk and risk the things that I have in my life or risk ridicule or risk whatever, that I need to do more of that. That, that there's fear there, there's imposter syndrome, there's who am I to speak out on these topics, but it's critical that those that look like me, that live my life, speak out and take that stand because that's the only time change actually happens. Thanks, Colin. Wendy, your thoughts? Just because it's my topic, um, I think it's also critical that we admit to our own failings in that regard, because it's pretty clear that we as a country have some fairly significant deficit in the privilege department um, and in the equality department. And we've known that for a long time. And for whatever reason, those of us who do look like us, who do um, have a level of privilege that is different, um, need to admit that we have a hard time understanding that and figure out how to fix it. But we need the stakeholders involved and to be open to that criticism, which I think is what leads to the ultimate vulnerability is being open to that criticism. And we get back to going back to just being on a podcast and opening yourself to criticism to your friends and family um, and being willing to accept that. And that's all part of this journey that we're all on now somewhat together. And it's nice to meet you all. <laughs> I have to comment a little bit when you said being open to criticism, because um, you, I think you all might find this fascinating. You might not know this, but the one of the, we didn't, we've not received much, um, hardly any negative feedback. And you know what we've received negative feedback on? Love. Is that fascinating? We ended up somehow our one of the call out quotes that we had with regard to uh, showing people love, that love matters, that we think about that we think about the people surrounding us with love. Um, ended up getting into some uh, Facebook land of who knows what that uh, I ended up sending Lexi notes saying, what is this? Because uh, we had uh, several people saying, this is ridiculous. And um, you're so, you're so very taking a side. And it was a fascinating thing because the quote had nothing to do with sides or anything. It was really just about we should provide uh, that love matters. <laughs> Wendy, what do you think about that? <laughs> Who knows in the world of the internet these days what can take off? <laughs> Next thing you know, it'll be a meme. Right? It was very fascinating, the, the, whole, the whole thing. Well, I'm glad I could provide the controversy. Elisa. Yeah, 
Thank you, Colin. I thought ooh, at the time we uh, we even had this discussion about whether we should remove any comments, but we didn't. We left them on and allowed it to just all be there. Um, and for people to, if people wanted to engage with each other in such a way, but we, I mean, I ended up looking at some of the individuals who commented and I think they just misunderstood the quote. But I, we didn't engage. I find that fascinating because I have to say, Colin, your episode, like literally it was one of the ones that just brought tears to my eyes. I mean, for so many reasons. And I don't know if that's controversial <laughs> to, to talk about things that are um, lovely that maybe some people are really hesitant um, towards and then whatever that looks like, or maybe it's so sensitive, such a sensitive topic to love somebody that um, people are really defensive about what that definition looks like or, or whatever. So in one way, I, it, it breaks my heart to know there was controversy around it because that was, that was something that really emotionally connected me. But at the same time, I have to say, I'm not surprised. Um, everything that means something to me has been under attack for the last couple of years. And so uh, I, I feel like I'm used to, to those kinds of um, things that are high up on my personal value list, right? So it doesn't surprise me. Um, and if anything, I think these, these conversations just have to be had more often. If it makes people that uncomfortable, maybe it's because they're not hearing it as much or it's pushing back on their systems um, that they are comfortable in. But um, I thought it was beautiful for the record. So it was absolutely beautiful. And I just want to say a couple of things. Lexi was nice enough to provide me with the quote we used. And here was the quote from Colin, which said, loving people usually means giving something up, right? That we have to give, we give something up of ourselves when we're truly loving someone. And the person wrote back, are you for real? Love is a selfish act. It causes not loss, but get immeasurable gain. And, and so, and they said, how dare you profane love by seeing it as transactional, which just causes me to think that the person didn't quite understand the quote. Or they didn't listen to the full episode. Yes, exactly. Yes. Right. Yeah. One of the things that you said, Colin, in the episode that, that struck me so much um, had to do with uh, the that in order to truly love the people that report to us, we have a responsibility to take away what we think is best for them and allow them to show us what is best for them. And it was something that I'm trying to exercise every day. And I find it harder than I thought it would be to really exercise that as, um, as someone who is in a supervisory role over other people. I agree. I, I struggle with it all the time, right? It's stripping out our preconceived notions and taking our own, our own views of the world and projecting that on someone else. And if we hear what their view is and what their trajectory is, we can amplify their happiness in a way that we can't if we're funneling them down our view of, of what it should be. Yes. And there were these moments in each of your episodes, Colin, your moments when you talked about that people that you work with, if we get to know each other as whole people at work can actually truly help each other. And you had the moment where you talked about a colleague in effect, saving your child's life um, by providing acceptance it was one of the most, one of the moments that choked me up the most during all of the seasons. So I deeply appreciate that you were willing to share that. 
Absolutely. And that experience through that with my child and whatever has brought me to where I feel like I have to be more vocal in life. That it's those stories that it's my obligation to share it. Um, and that topic specifically, the trans community in this country is under dramatic attack. Attack like few of us can speak to. And that only gets stopped when people who look and sound like me stand up and say no. Um, that if we stand on the sidelines, even if we, we disagree, but we just do it silently on the sidelines, we're allowing those people to be put through some very, very inappropriate and hard things. Thank you, Colin. Totally agree. Mike, I also want to comment to you that in your episode, speaking about failure, one of the moments in your episode that was so um, deeply moving was your willingness to speak about your brother and how um, the experience of losing your brother, like in so many ways, changed the trajectory of how you felt about your own life and what you were thinking. So what was that like for you to talk about out loud? Um, I like to talk about my brother mm. and I, I like to, I like to relive that. I like that pain to be alive because then, you know, he's still alive. So uh, it's hard, but I do. I like to talk about Luke. I deeply appreciate that as well. The ability to talk about this person that you love still so much. If this conversation has caught your attention and you want to join in on conversations like this, check out our website at connectioncollaborative.com. Welcome back. We are joined by Colin, Jim, Liz, Mike, Shambi, and Wendy, 92,000 hour stars from seasons one and two. So I listened to us in the ways that we spoke so vulnerably. When I talk about that, I'm interested in, um, you all mentioned a little bit, have you had any actual conversations with people that you love about your interview like have you actually sat down with anyone i just don't know if anybody has so have you shambi has mike has tell me something about that um so so i shared it with uh with our founder and ceo of the sam salem and he's he's uh he's um a, a dear friend as well and um, it was really healing to hear, to have him tell me his reflections on that. And I was nervous about that. I was like, I mean, you know, I, um, because he's somebody that I respect so much, I, it was like sort of uncomfortable. Like, here's my dirty laundry, dude. Um, it, it's all there, the whole inventory. <laughs> so, um, it, but it was, a, it was, it was great. It was just great to, to have him reflect on just what a, you know, what a great person that I am now and how a lot of, and how I'm the sum total of all those experiences and decisions. And, and so if I hadn't gone through those things, I wouldn't be me. And uh, so it was great. 
And then with my wife, she she was shocked that I was, <laughs> you know, and we've been married for 25 years, so she she knows this stuff. But so she was really surprised, um, and and um, and I and I think proud that I you know that I was okay with with uh, with being that open. Shambi, what about you? So I love when this podcast comes out. It's the first thing I listen to the minute it drops. I listen um, and then I usually funnel it towards people. I'm like, you have to listen to this one. And it really speaks. There's every single one I've gotten a big takeaway from that just sticks with me all week. And I think about it a lot during the week. And um, even in cases that are totally like my polar opposite trajectory, it's like there's something big I can take away from that, right? So I funnel it to people and I had a friend meme me uh, back, right? And she, she said, so I listened to your podcast today and it's basically a split screen of this is my friend when we talk and this is how my, my friend sounds like at work and they're two totally different people, same actress, right? But one's like, you know, not professional one is. And, and it made me laugh because I kind of feel like I'm always the way I clean up my language when I'm <laughs> in public. But, you know, other than that, I say whatever I'm thinking. But uh, my sister um, was just like, she kept texting and saying, I didn't know you thought like this. This, this is how I think I'm going to send this to people and say, this is my sister. And it was just so cute because I don't feel like I, I have those moments that make people proud around me that's like, I know that person. That's amazing. So that felt really good. And, and of all people, I really was surprised because she and I actually um, have very different kinds of things that we participate in. And so that was kind of nice too. And I did have one student um, when it came up on my Facebook feed, um, share it with his friends and family, which I was shocked and, you know, claimed me, which is always nice when people claim you, right? And say, this is somebody that helped me get through education. And you, you need to take a minute and listen to people can do hard things. And that like meant more to me than anything was like that I said something that was worthy enough to be repeated by somebody that you know holds me in high regard because those are the ones that you're worried about disappointing I mean you know I'm always worried about disappointing people but particularly when I'm supposed to be teaching them something so um yeah yeah it's a, it's a weird experience to hash back something that you've been recorded saying you know um and talk about that but it, it's been a really interesting and fun experience I love that. I just have to specifically say out loud because you spoke about your sister. And of course, my sister is one of the actual interviews and how much fun it has been for me to be able to have people talk to me about my sister who doesn't have the same last name as me. So they don't know they're talking to me about my sister often. And, and Wendy, they're talking to me about how um, great your podcast was. And it feels so good to, to be able to hear that and to see you know, it's an interesting thing because you're so used to knowing your sibling throughout your whole life in sibling ways rather than in, you know, professional podcasting ways. And that was such a, it's such a wonderful new way to relate to each other. So thanks for doing it, Wendy. <laughs> Liz, I'm, ex I'm interested in your thoughts on this because you are a podcaster what yeah. is it like to be recorded? And then did anybody listen to you in that space and give you feedback on what that was uh, like? Just my husband who came upstairs uh, and I'm hearing like my voice 
coming out of his phone. And I'm thinking to myself, what is that? He goes, I'm listening to your podcast. And I, and I also was thinking that some of the things that I had said would come across as somewhat shallow or stupid or, you know, the same old imposter syndrome. And he looks at me, he goes, man, you sound so good, Liz. And it was so sweet of him. So it was really nice, but it was so strange. And he listened to the whole thing. And I mean, he's heard me say pretty much everything I've said multiple times, but he was very enthusiastic and he thought your questions were great. I think that's wonderful. I love it when you get a chance, just like how I'm talking about my sister and your husband gets to talk about you. Um, uh, Mike's wife is saying to him, like the, to hear these things back from the people that we love that, um, that ourselves, because I really did try to get yourself to come through, um, on this, uh, recording and to have people hear yourself and give you compliments that, that who you are and how you express yourself is worthwhile to them, I think must be a good experience. So tell me, um, did you learn anything or were there, were you intrigued by any other of the podcasts, especially from anybody who's here, but also from the others, were there any, any for you, if you had a chance to listen to other 92,000 hour interviews that you were particularly intrigued by or that you want to ask each other something? I was listening to the one you did a recent one with Bodie, the skier. Yeah. Brody Levin. Yeah. Yeah. And I really liked the question you asked him about imagination and how that's played into his career and his life. I thought that was a great question to ask somebody who's in that space. Well, that's lovely. Actually, one of the questions I had for you guys, which was, and this might go along with that, which is when I said, um, <laughs> have you listened to other episodes and were you happy you didn't get a question I asked someone or do you wish you would have had one I asked someone else? Um, did you have any experiences like that? So I, I like the imagine, I like that you pointed out the imagination question and honest to goodness, most of these questions just come from the conversation and mm, being curious. So this is my other curious question. You know, have you, I know for sure Shambi is like our number one listener probably. <laughs> so Shambi, I don't mean to put you on the spot, but having listened, I would be really interested in hearing that from you. Well, so, so let me start with the, the opening question, right? Um, the one that we all get asked. And what's fascinating to me, and I don't know if I heard this different in season one than season two, or if it was just in my head, but I, I, for some reason, remember the question being, you know, if you could remove all of these things and parenthood stuck in my head and I'm like, who am I if it's not being a parent? So when I answered that, I completely left my whole family out, which is the center of my universe that, you know, I think I do mention this. They are the middle of my priorities and all of that. And so I got thinking like, okay, do I still think I'm an empath if, you know, I'm totally focused on my family? And I think both are true. Um, so I don't know if that question's morphed at all, but it's fascinating to listen to how everybody define themselves. And especially when you take away what you do, because it's such a significant amount of time that we all invest in. Um, but I don't know that there were any questions I was nervous for other people to answer, but there's definitely 
I think all of the interviews in particular were, you know, there was this moment where you're like, okay, this is, this is the podcast episode right here in this answer, right? And I'm thinking, um, you know, in particular, the last couple you've had, you know, um, you have the mayor of uh, South Salt Lake, for example, fairly recently. And um, I thought, okay, well, if I was nervous that somebody's going to nitpick apart what I say, what does the mayor like worry about? It didn't seem like she gave two bothers about her answers. And I loved that. It was like such confidence, right? That, that um, you know, if you, you record it all the time and people are going to play back what they're going to play back, they're going to get mad at what they're going to get mad at. They're going to take after you on social media, which has become a snake pit. They're, they're going to do what they're going to do. Um, but I, I loved each of these episodes for very different reasons. Like I'm, I'm looking at Liz's box right now and thinking how that one in particular really struck me because of where I'm at professionally in my life thinking, you know, once you climb the ladder and you're where you're supposed to be, what happens if the ladder landed at the wrong window? You know, what, what next? And listening to Liz be like, that's all right, do something else. Like you can start over, you can start over in your 50s, 60s, 70s. Like it just was mind blowing to me. Not that I shouldn't know that, but it's like exactly what I needed to hear. So I think that's been the case with every single one of your episodes is there's just something in there that connects with me differently than it would have connected with me a year ago or next year. It's what I needed to hear at that moment. And Mike, you've done this to me twice, by the way, once because um, you sat with me in a group and I think you and I approach I think we're just from different career paths, business and education are very, very often at odds in some ways, but there's been a couple things you've said um, that just stand out. One was in person and it was about um, shark tanks, right? You might remember this. And I just remember walking away thinking, all that explains so many of my meetings, like that helps me understand. And I needed to understand that. So I think there's been some of those times in these podcasts where there's something, an answer that maybe, it's not that it doesn't set well, but it's not how I would have answered it. It's vastly different, but I needed to hear that so I can understand people better and, and understand viewpoints differently um, because we all have the right to say and think what we want to say and think, and we're all in the same spaces. Um, and sometimes it's kind of surprising to know we can both experience something similarly but so differently and so that's been helpful too to hear that and and same thing the point of views with a lot of um the the takeaways of the episodes was like hey yeah that was a learning experience that was really good and I think wow that would have shut me down <laughs> right like that that would have been two months of downtime for me now you know so uh it, it's been fascinating to watch that and Jim you know I love your stories I, you're, you're like a natural storyteller. And um, I think your, your podcast, I don't know if it highlights the intensity of what a brilliant human being you are. That's really hard to do um, with just a voice, but your story is incredibly inspiring to me. And um, so I just love listening to these. It's like my one hour chill with a cup of coffee and just listen and be happy for a while. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> okay, Mike, what is the Shark Tank comment? I frankly cannot remember, but I, but because I said it, I know it was brilliant. <laughs> well done. Hot and dry was just basically, um, you know, sometimes you're the big fish in a little pond. Sometimes you're the bigger fish in a bigger pond. And sometimes they're sharks. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, I've ever accounted for sharks. <laughs> you know, that was the takeaway. <laughs> 
Jim, let's go back to you. I was going to tell a story. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I, it, it's a very small story, but uh, the main reason I keep working for this company um, is because I get a chance to interact with people in their natural habitat. So we had a series of public engagement meetings in Driggs and Victor, Idaho. And the most interesting attendee to me are the ranchers and the farmers because their worldviews and their life experiences and kind of everything is so different from mine, except for they have families and I have a family. And it is, I just keep doing this because I keep finding myself in sort of unfamiliar terrain I, never with hostile people, but always with skeptical people. And it, it is just a treat. And I think, you know, this goes back to sort of the vulnerability. I don't feel as though I have anything I need to prove. And so I'm able to just sort of enjoy it and just revel in it. So having just done three of those meetings over the last few days and having been told I didn't know what I was talking about, which was true, um, it's enjoyable. I would love to say, Jim, that, um, and maybe Liz, you may or may not realize this, but I think that in some of the questions that I asked you, I probably addressed Jim Carter and we just, I just never said out loud that it was Jim Carter. But when I think about the work you do in transitions and I think about my long experience with Jim Carter and how he's always on the transition that one day he's going to retire, but he's yeah. having so much fun, he doesn't actually retire. It makes me think about um, you and your podcast. Thank you. Jim, we'll follow up later. <laughs> you got many acts in your life. Okay. <laughs> I have had. It's been fun. It's still fun. I shouldn't say it in the past tense. I'm having a good time. I do. Um, it, it makes me think of something that, um, and I want, I maybe, I didn't plan to bring this up, but I think that it, we have had conversations and one that I had with Jim in particular and Jim, if I need to edit this out later, you can let me, but I'm going to um, out your vulnerability right now without asking permission. So we can edit this if, if we need to afterwards, which is we had, um, we had a whole, we actually addressed with one of our podcast interviews, the subject was fear. And one of the fears that Jim had talked about with me in our past was, um, that, you know, like the existential, what do you really fear in your life? Um, and Jim, you mentioned at the time it was at the time it was, um, irrelevance that the, that, that is a, a deep existential fear. And so given that, um, I didn't plan to do this, but I'm wondering if like, as you guys have had so much experience now in real time, um, being both self-aware, self-reflective. What what is it like for you right now, in your work today, your society today, your um, your family lives today? What what's the fear that you experience right now? And I, and the reason I'm asking that is because we're recording this right now when it's like I feel like we're at this cusp of this potential of opening up after COVID or will we reach a post-pandemic phase or will we not? And I feel like it's even more tender. Um, and so I'm interested in, in your thoughts, like what is, what does, what is your existential fear right now? So I'm looking to you guys to who's going to be brave and answer that for me. 
since I brought it up, I can start. Thanks, Jim. <laughs> since I triggered this. <clears throat> and this, this is just, this is entirely age related, but it's becoming apparent to me that as I get older, there will come a time when I am more dependent on others than I am now. And I, what scares me is that I will become completely dependent on others. And that's really, that's a tough thing for me. And it's age related. I just, as you know, things don't work as well as they used to, I realize that at some point things won't work. And that so, makes so much sense. I don't obsess with it, but it's kind of, you know, it's out there. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Wendy, how about you? I have to agree directly with Jim, and it's purely age-related. As bodies start to do things that they don't want to do, or refuse to do things that they don't want to do at times when we want them to do them, um, I not only have a, a very deep fear of becoming dependent on others, but of not being able to give the support to others that I am used to being able to offer. Um, I've been through some recent transitions on my own. Interesting that I'm here um, in that I have some health issues that have caused me to fall down on the job in, or at least feel like I'm falling down on the job and knowing that I'm falling down on the job in my marriage, in my job. Um, I recently lost a job for COVID layoffs, but I know it was health related. Um, and that leaves you in a space where you have to think about those things of your dreads change and you start to really fear not being there for people and people not being there for you, which is an interesting conundrum to be in. That makes so much sense. Mike, how about you? Um, my fears, uh, I have some similar fears. I mean, my life is so wrapped up in, uh, in skiing and biking. It's such a, you know, central pre preoccupation. I, it, it's a big part of my identity and it's a big part of how I relate with my kids. And, you know, and I'm, I came within seconds of dying of sudden cardiac death four years ago and was found that I have a congenital heart defect that should have killed me when I was in my early twenties. Um, and so I am, I, my doctors can't tell me if I'm making a, a lifestyle lifespan trade-off. They don't know. Um, and I'm okay with that because I would rather die on a mountain than live on my couch. Um, but that's one thing to just to, to make that pithy statement. And then there's the other thing to kind of, to live with that. So I, I guess it gives me a deeper appreciation for, um, for what I'm able to do right now, but it's always in the back of my mind, like this might be taken away from me, you know, any, any time. Yeah. Liz, how about you? What, what is yours? Uh, you know, as a mom of three kind of adult children, I guess my, um, I just always am worried about uh, their lives as adults um, and where you know, will they find the right life partners? Will they be happy? Will they be able to support themselves? All those things. And um, so far so good, but um, you know, things are changing so much, um, you know, from a U.S. society perspective and the challenges that they're going to have to navigate while the things that my husband and I navigated were difficult. I mean, this just like exponentially more difficult. 
Um, and even though they are coming from a place of huge privilege, um, there's still just so many things that I, I, I fear that are going to be in front of them that maybe I will not have to live to see, you know, splits of the country, you know, horrible things like that. This, you know, my mind really gets racing and I'm thinking, have I taught them enough of basic values to be able to navigate some of those things? And yeah. do they keep me up at night? No, but I happened to be at church this morning and I was thinking about it and I was like, oh, you got to stop thinking about these things. So, cause it could just spin out of control, right? Yes. Uh, you know, this past year has just been really challenging and thinking through all that. I completely agree with you. And I'm so glad that you brought that up because I think it is this existential thing that's hanging over all of us. I agree with you. Wendy, what, what do you think? You're muted, my dear. I'll be the one who's the <laughs> muted lady. I was just going to ask, and I think you answered it, Annalisa, that do you think that 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 fear, especially for your children and have you done enough is different with COVID? Do you think it changed that fear? Do you think that brought that to the forefront, Liz? No, COVID didn't. Um, uh, Cause I just, COVID is just such, it's such an unreal sort of experience. It's probably brought us all a little closer. It's more the social justice and sort of the, sort of all the shakeup in the United States and just how um, polarized everything has become to a point where, um, you know, how do you advise them to, to think rationally and to think for themselves and intelligently and to, to act appropriately and all that. And I think they're fine, but again, it's just really a challenging thing that maybe I wasn't necessarily anticipating. I don't know that any of us were right. Coupled with COVID. So. I agree. And I also think that COVID amplified it. COVID was oh, yeah. the bright shining light on inequality and, and, and difficulty that already was there. And now it was just, now we, now we don't have a choice, but to see it. You couldn't, you couldn't hide because you're at home, you're watching yeah. you know, nowhere to go to do anything else. So you're, you're very faced with it. And so, um, yeah, it's been difficult. I agree. That existential fear, Colin, how is it for you? That's a good question. I would say it's very similar to Wendy's. Um, I've always prided myself on my ability to help those around me and to help them carry their weight and to help them through hard things. And a couple months ago, my health took a hard left uh, in scary ways and endangers my ability to do that for my family, for my children, to be there for my nine-year-old for the next 10 years as he becomes an adult. Um, and the fear of not being there for him and not seeing him through those brutal years, that that's, to me, that's existential. That, that, that's, that's where I am. Thanks for sharing that. Shambi, what's yours? I, mine has always been losing people. Um, you know, death just terrifies me. Not, not the act of dying necessarily is, you know, especially with children, my own kids, the thought of not having them around, my husband. Um, we've had several health scares also. So front and center. Um, but there was something interesting as I was listening to Liz's podcast, and this ties back into what you were talking with Jim about, um, the concept of becoming irrelevant was just like, I, I think it just defined what I was feeling without a definition, knowing that that's what it was um, in the middle of a job change. And when we construct so much of our identity around um, a role that we play in work, and we leave one space, 
Um, we did big things and important things. And when you leave that, um, did you leave behind your importance? And and I've struggled with that. I really have. And, um, you know, you have to build it back up and, and, you know, I'm working on that, but that's been really challenging for me. So I don't, I didn't realize that was important to me, but it must be because it's bothered me. That's really fair. I have to um, provide my own answer to this because I think uh, I wasn't, it surprised me this week. I had an opportunity to listen in on a call that my daughter had been awarded um, a paper of the year from her, uh, from her college a year after graduation, because they didn't do the award ceremony last year due to COVID. And I had this moment where listening to her speak about her paper, see how she had put her learnings in her life to actual use in her job that also is part of her mission and her purpose. And I found myself, like as I'm on this call, just weeping, one for the gratitude that she has found, like that she sees that. And knowing that it could change for her at any time, that like we all get to change our missions and our and what we're doing, but I think it has something to do with, because I, I see the world now so much more vividly in terms of our, our needs to, to find what our mission and to have this purpose. And I, I, I remember writing down, like, am I each day living my purpose in the way that I see my daughter doing in the way that I see more young people doing, um, what am I doing that's really going to move, you know, like move the trajectory of the world bed to a better place a little by little. And I think that that's my continued existential fear. Um, it just feels like it's even sharper now uh, during this time. So I want to respect your time. And I have one last question that I hope each of you would answer. And I, and it's, it's really going back to that beginning, which is that, um, that, that masterclass that you've provided of self-awareness, self-reflection, and I want to add self-acceptance. Um, I think that self-acceptance in particular is one of the most difficult things any of us ever really accomplish in our lives. And we're always striving towards that. So tell me if you were to look back on the experience and give yourself the same grace that you probably are giving other people who were in this meeting today from, with regard to their interviews, um, what compliment would you give yourself? What nice thing would you say to yourself that maybe our own listeners could take from your, your experience? How can, how can you give yourself a compliment that people can learn that we can do that for ourselves? I saw your faces. This is one of the harder things, right? But that self-acceptance is important. And you talked about it a little bit. So Tell me, do I get to call on you? All right, Mike Bills, you go. Okay, so I guess uh, a compliment I can give myself, and it stems because somebody else gave this compliment to me. So I had a couple of people reach out to me afterward to thank me, um, and I had one ask me to mentor her um, because she had been through some stuff in her life and. Uh, and so I did. Um, there was no way I could say no to that. So I, it, it made me feel like I'd done something that actually mattered. Yay. I deeply appreciate that. The telling of your story is, uh, 
one of the most great, right? It's the, I just had an episode about courage and that that's the, the, that's the definition of courage is to tell your, tell your story with your whole heart, which you did. Colin, how about you? It's probably very similar. It's about the courage to stand up and take a stand and say the things that we support, even if society doesn't necessarily agree with you. And to uh, like, I'm not one for attention. I'm not one to have people look at me or talk about me. So the courage to get up and make myself public and to take a stand for something I believe in, then that that's probably the biggest compliment. And it, and it pissed somebody off. So I must've done something right. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> You do know you're doing something right if it makes someone a little bit uncomfortable and mad. Awesome. Liz, how about you? You know, I uh, would compliment myself on my resilience just because um, there's been so many things that have come up in my life with my job and with moving and kids and all kinds of interesting things. And, and I just sort of tend to move right through them without missing a beat. And I've also had several health scares as well. Um, and it probably came through in that podcast as well. So I just want to say to Shambi, Shambi, there's so many great things out there. So you'll never be irrelevant because you're thinking you won't be. So that's the one thing I've learned from all my guests is like, geez, once you leave, there's just more there. So look at Jim. He's a great example of it. So you just have to know that and think about it because boy, there's so much to do. So. Awesome. Thank you so much, Liz. Shambi, how about you? What's the compliment you'd give yourself? Well, if I pull myself out of my own head, right? <laughs> I, I what I would say is I think it's it. I did a good job showing up, being there, and talking about hard things. And and you know, I hope that somebody would be able to talk um, to take away that nobody needs to be ashamed of things, their background, their histories, um, you know, their choices, who they are. Um, that we all deserve equal space in the world and, you know, show up, do, and say what you're thinking. Um, you know, no need to tap it down. All right, Jim, how about you? There we go. Um, the, several thoughts occur to me. And what one is, and this is kind of lightweight, but for all of us who are, have had health issues or feel their health is changing, I'm, I continue to enjoy the things I enjoy, but I do them in a little bit different way. And I don't beat myself up about it. Like I can't keep up with the guys I used to ski with, but I still have fun. And that's minor. Um, the, the relevance thing, that, this is not why I keep working because I need to feel relevant, but it's so rewarding. Um, I can come into a circumstance and add a little something and something turns out better than it would have if I hadn't been there. At least I like to think it, well, I'm told that that's true. So yeah. I'm able to accept that. And the, the big one, the great big one is being, the, being a parent. And for a long time, I would sort of say, I am screwing this up. I am not being a good parent here, <clears throat> but Harry is now 27 and he's still getting his feet under him but he's big hearted and he's hardworking and he cares about the right stuff and he influences people around him in really positive ways. So I can't have screwed it up too badly. So I'm giving myself permission to think I'm, I'm doing okay with raising this kid and that, um, that it's worth it for me to show up to these public meetings and talk with the ranchers about how many cuttings of hay they get. So 
Wonderful. Life is good. Wonderful. Wendy, how about your compliment to yourself? You know, if I could give myself any compliment, it would be complimenting myself on being authentic with healthy boundaries because healthy boundaries have not always been my strong suit. And I tend to be an oversharer if necessary, as my dear sister Annalisa knows. Um, and I think just being authentic with those healthy boundaries is a good compliment for me where I'm at today. Um, I didn't, like I say, I didn't always come into life with necessarily healthy boundaries and I have a good sense of those now. Um, and, and demonstrating those is important to myself. Yeah. Wonderful. Melissa, can I give Wendy a compliment? Absolutely. I just want to thank her for being the first podcast. She set the bar super high for the rest of us. It was impressive to listen to, very enjoyable. And um, yeah, um, it was your podcast that made me just fall in love with the whole series. And, and honestly, um, trying to think about ways I could talk with such passion that you did. So that's my compliment to you. You did a fantastic job and set the bar super high for the rest of us. Thank you so much. That means a lot coming from you, Shambi means a lot coming from any of you. I am so grateful. Uh, Shabby brought up earlier that in fact, the, the mayor of South Salt Lake, bef before she answered me as to whether she would do the podcast, went back and listened to all of you first. And then she said, yes, I will do it. So all of you made her feel comfortable that um, that she could show up and be vulnerable and have it turn out so that she still sounds smart and she still sounds like she has her act together because that's what you all did. You showed up with your vulnerability and your courage and you sounded smart and you sounded like you still had your acts together. Um, even when there was confusion about where the next steps might go or how this might turn out. So I'm really grateful to all of you for doing the podcast that you did for showing up again for this podcast series today. So thank you so much. Thanks. Bye-bye. I can't even begin to thank our guests enough. Their vulnerability, authenticity, and self-awareness absolutely shone through, and we at 92,000 Hours are just so grateful for the gift of their presence. Next week is the last episode of Season 2, and it is another special episode in which I will share lessons that I've learned over the course of this past year of podcast interviews. It has been quite a journey, and I hope you'll join me for this last episode of the season. As always, thank you for listening to 92,000 Hours. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review. We really appreciate your support. If you're interested in integrating the personal and professional through authentic conversation, just like you heard on our episode today, please check out our work at Connection Collaborative. You can find us at connectioncollaborative.com or send me an email at annalisa at connectioncollaborative.com. Thank you and see you next week on 92,000 hours.
92,000 Hours is made possible by Connection Collaborative. This episode was produced and edited by Brianna Stegel. Lexi Banks is our marketing director, and I'm your host, Annalisa Holcomb.